Welcome back, all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who was hoping the world would end so you didn't have to pay back all that credit card debt. It is time for another Weird Dose of X. I'm Jason, and I'm here once again with my buddy, Ruben. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good to be back. fantastic here. And later, we may be joined by an extra special guest to talk about a book that crosses over with the X-Men stuff, but isn't quite part of Judgment Day. That's a treat for later, but right now, without any further preamble, because I don't think we have any news this week, let's get right into our big books of the week, which are X-Men Red and then Judgment Day. And I think they were listed the other way around in the checklist, but X-Men Red definitely comes first chronologically in the story for for some pretty important reasons, I think. If you read those backwards, you're going to be a little confused. Yeah, and Karen Gillan was even on Twitter telling people read Red first. Ah, okay. I, I didn't uh, check in with him this week. Uh, he's he's had some real nice things to say about X-Men, right? He's been very complimentary to uh, what Al Ewing's doing. I, I'm kind of curious how that plays out. It'd be interesting to talk to some of these writers of an event if basically you start writing your main story and then you get previews of these issues and they're like, oh, this guy's actually doing something that's of use. Yeah, we hear talk sometimes about the X Slack. I think they use a Slack chat uh, system. I don't know if it's Slack or Discord or whatever, but some sort of system to keep all these different writers allegedly on on board with each other. Some of them don't seem as on board as others, but Al Ewing and uh, Kieran Gillen definitely seem to be very much- Yeah, I mean, he hasn't said anything about any other crossovers and- I guess the flip side of that is I wonder if any of the writers get jealous that they're not getting showcased or they realize they're just dialing it in. I and think like, they've okay, had whatever. some experience together too, because I've seen in the past, there's been some like new Avengers runs where it hands off from Gillen to Ewing, which is kind of interesting. So they probably have an ex- existing relationship, you know, as writers. I would say if I was um, collecting this, I'd probably just collect the red and poor stories and call it good. Yeah, these are definitely two books that if you're following this event, you really need to get both these books. There's no no fat this week. Next week, we have a couple tie-ins that I'm kind of thinking may, maybe not so core to the story. But this week, X-Men Red and obviously the, the main book itself are, are absolutely vital to understanding what's going on. So just to get the big, let's, let's just put right out on the table. Here's the big events of X-Men Red number six. Uh, so Magneto lives. Last time we saw, he got his heart kind of ripped out by uh, Ernos, and he lives kind of in the way that that uh, Chris and I predicted. Not that that it was that hard to predict that. You know, he's he's yeah, Magneto. He does magnet stuff. Yep. Iron. I'd say kudos that you got it exactly right. I did like uh, the little mention that oh, uh, I'm also taking iron supplements. Way too much for anybody to say. Uh, which mutant doctor did he say let him take it? Oh, Dr. Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, that, I thought that was a funny little uh, little mention. Another big thing is that we learned who the night seats are in Arako's Great Ring. So these have been hinted at for a good long time. And one of them was kind of obvious if you're paying attention. And the other two, I did not get at all. Was one really big surprise that I really enjoyed. And that is, you know, we knew kind of knew the Fisher King was going to be one of them, just because, you know, there was hints about that. Yep. And we also learned that uh, Bobby DaCosta, Roberto, is uh, is on the house of, uh, the, the seat of, one of the seats of night. Yep. I thought that was really cool. Yep. And our last big uh, uh, moment was our X-Men Red Heroes have a new main goal. They're going after Oranos himself. I mean, hey, isn't, isn't he trapped in the exclusion? I, I wonder how they're going to get him. I wonder how long we'll have to wait to find that out. Not very. But we start off here with uh, a brand new character, probably just a one-off to get us into the uh, the feelings here, the, the mode of the story. This is Dr. Craig Marshall, who is a human soil scientist, works for NASA, 
been hanging out on Mars, just kind of studying, hey, what? how does all the science stuff work when you terraform a planet in two minutes, which that makes sense. I, I didn't really get the impression that the mutants were allowing humans to just kind of wander around Araco, but I, I guess, you know, there'll be a few. What, what did you think of that little, uh, little mention? Um, I was kind of confused as to how he got to Mars. It was, it was sort of my big issue, but I, I don't always understand the technology level of, you know, general humans. He could have, I mean, I'm sure there's some alpha flight that could have gotten him there. Or or maybe there was even, they let him, you know, escorted through the gate there in the, the main diplomatic zone and let him wander around from there. And I was somewhat okay with the, you know, conversation about him saying, you know, hey, I was expecting not to be able to just wander around either. So it is sort of addressed, basically saying that if you're not an enemy of the Iraqi, they won't attack you. But if you demonstrate any sort of hostility towards them, then then you have a problem. Sure. Just like they say, like in, in bear country, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he yeah. just he's just here to to meet some kids and say some nice things about wanting to protect them from, hey, Oranos is gone, but his armories, the, the, the stuff that came out of his armories, including this big spider laser looking thing, are still running around killing folks. So he says some nice things about protect, protecting these two Iraqi kids. And then uh, are the House of, what is it? House of Day? Table Day shows up for a storm. And uh, Lactuda of the Stars and Sobunar of the Depths. So Storm and the Space Lady and the Water Lady show up. Say some nice things about, oh, now you have a place in the Broken Land, which is, we've heard that said to Magneto before. So again, we we see there are ways that Iraqi society has a way of, of letting people in. Not a lot of people and on special occasions, but they're not as completely exclusionary as you might thought. That's that's nice. But again, this was just an excuse to have Storm show up and be awesome and shoot some amazing lightning and, and uh, kill this laser being. And then we just get an opportunity to have her look through Lactuda's eyes, which is, again, kind of a, a comic booky gimmick, but a, a gimmick that works because it lets her look around the planet. And just like when we saw Oranos attacking, we had these you know peaks at what was going on here, what was going on there. So this lets Storm see, for instance, Richard Ryder, Nova, you know, blasting off, blasting away at this big old drone factory above Port Prometheus. We see the Fisher King, and the Fisher King talking about, this is, a, I think, the first mention we've had of these prisons. There seems to be an era in Araco history when the Locust Vile had people in pri- Did you pick up on what was going on there? Do we know yet, or is it still super mysterious on purpose? It's a little vague. I think some of this is the continuation of what was discussed during X of Swords, what was going on when they were in... Um, gosh, I can't recall that, that world. In any event, I think some of this was already roughly discussed, but it wasn't well fleshed out. And that the place where the demons were coming from? Yeah, that- exactly. Yeah, Amenth. That was what it was, Amenth. Yes, Amenthi demons. Yeah, so this was going on in a, in a month. I think a lot of the Iraqi society was fragmented, and the Locust File took over a portion of it. Yeah, we're getting hints of how things were under Genesis and how they were kind of different than back in the days of Apocalypse, which is, is again, interesting. It really adds texture to it. So we see that uh, this Fisher King, who's now the man with no name, not, not the Clint Eastwood one, but uh, he calls himself the Omega of having nothing, because <laughs> his mind was wiped clean on purpose of his name to hide his identity from the locust vial. Yeah, and that's interesting. It, he might have some crazy powers right in the future. He just doesn't know about it, does not access it. I mean, he's got to be important in some way, right? Why would you wipe 
isn't it? We also find out that at the House of Night, they don't allow any Omegas on, you know, I keep saying house, table of night. No Omegas are allowed. He's the Omega of having nothing, but okay, that's not really an Omega, so that's fine. And he says, another joins me. We are now two. Time to fetch the third. So this is the table of night coming together. Now we check in with Iska the Unbeaten, who is, again, more a gimmick than a character. She switched sides because she has to be on the winning side, so she's still on Oronos' side. And again, this confuses me. Does she know who the ultimate winner is going to be? Or does she have to just kind of predict like she's a gambler? No, I think at this point she knows that Oronos' forces are still ultimately going to win, so she can't change. Her power prevents her from being on the losing side. And this seems to be her fighting one of Sobiner's fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder, though, I mean, what counts as winning? I mean, both sides are going to lose. We we see, you know, spoiler, Oronos doesn't do so well later today. Uh, We get someone else gets control of his stuff. So I guess he still wins because he killed so many more Iraqi. I mean, we get you know, very philosophical here. What counts as winning? Yeah, I think at the point that he is defeated, then she can switch back. I mean, that's what we saw in X of Swords. She was fighting against the Iraqi and the mutants up until um, Amenth was defeated by Apocalypse and then she like flips sides. Another thing, I, I speculation here, but she's right now, she's down in the ocean fighting a giant fish, which seems probably not the most effect she could have on the battle. Like if she really wanted to be on Oronos's side and help him win even more, she'd be up top, you know, attacking Storm, attacking, you know, main characters. Maybe she, we could speculate, maybe she, okay, she has to be on Oronos's side, she can't help it, it's her power, but she's trying to be on his side in a way that's not super helpful to him. Assisting without actually being influential. She goes and beats up a fish. We check in now with uh, Wrong Slide. Always, always nice to see Wrong Slide. I think he's a cool character. Doesn't do a whole lot here, but he's he's fighting some droids and uh, helping him out is Roberto DaCosta, reminding us that hey, he's not just you know kind of a smooth talking, goofy, rich dude. He is legitimately a, a real badass fighter. All these his sunspot powers ripping robots apart, and he also talks about loving to. Being, he calls himself a gorgeous pile of secrets, which is a very Roberto da Costa thing to call himself. And he loves to reveal secrets, and it's time to reveal another one. And it is a big one. Uh, we also check in with Cora of the Burning Heart, and we find out that she has a sister, and her father is the Fisher King, which I think that's also brand new information. We check in briefly with Abigail Brand is coming up out of her chrysalis. Again, is uh, is Charles Xavier there going to take a peek in her, her very twisty little brain and find out that she's on everybody's side and nobody's side? Probably not, so. but we're supposed, we're supposed no, to think about that. I actually think so. I think, think so. they will? And I actually think this might be the pivot where she realizes maybe she picked the wrong team. Oh, I, I hope she stays complicated for a while. She's, she's more fun, I think, when she's playing all sides against each other. So yeah. I hope they keep that spinning a little bit. We also see that the Sword Station 2, which... I thought was completely wiped out, right? It sure looked like that thing got vaporized. And we see at least WizKid is alive on there. I think everyone else pretty much died, though. <laughs> Cable's up there checking checking it out, and we just see, like, Hull Breach and... A lot of floating dead people, like in that uh, Star Trek movie with the Klingons. And now we go back to kind of the, the main battle group with uh, Lodos Logos, who is the guy who can speak metal into existence. And of course, he's handing that off to Magneto. And Magneto appears to be fighting the ultra-humanite, uh, 
which is the wrong company, <laughs> but he's a, a giant white or possibly clear gorilla with a big old brain. I was really confused. Like, am I supposed to know who this is? Yeah, definitely. But, is. You know, big, big old goony fighting guy with a brain. So he throws some metal through the brain, and that that seems pretty effective, at least for now. Uh, and we get a we, we chat about what's going on there. They have a little bit of a break. It reminds us that hey, uh, on Araco, they don't really do the whole team thing, and that's very much a holdover from Genesis. To say, hey, Apocalypse used to have us do teamwork stuff, but Genesis wasn't so hip to that. I do wonder when and if we're going to see that crazy couple again when when Genesis and Exodus show up, because any, I mean, they could show up next issue for all we know. Any time they show up, will be a major event. I mean, I could see them in Sins of Sinister also because Sinister has a history of. Competing with Apocalypse. They, they certainly are. They're a real big shoe out there that a writer can drop at any time. Whenever, whenever they show up, they're going to be a big deal. So now we get the actual explanation from uh, Magneto saying, yeah, I'm able to save myself. I, at my age now, I have such mastery over magnetism. He is the master of magnetism, I've heard. Uh, he can keep all his blood pumping. I don't know if he can root around all the missing. He's still got to get it to the lungs. And I, I guess don't worry about anatomy. It's he's, he's too cool to worry about that. It's just great. And yeah, Dr. Nemesis said he had some crazy amount of iron supplements to make that work. But it's not going to last very long. Yeah, it's not working perfectly. I think he's able to sort of keep it moving around, but it's not 100%. Yeah, last issue, he talked about uh, now it being the hour of Magneto. And I'm wondering if that is supposed to be literal. Like in this state, he thinks he can only keep himself going. For an hour. I think that's what's implied because we see blood coming out of his nose and he's levitating blood off of his hand. Like I think he's getting it around the body, but it's not it's not perfect. Now we get our next big reveal where the table of night shows up. And this is Roberto and Siza of the Smoke, who is a new character, kind of nightcrawlery, a teleporter, and our Fisher King. And this is where they announce a Dawn, dusk, and day—the other tables of Arako—they're all broken and scattered, and they can't do their job. And when that happens, we find out that's when night steps up, and we get next what I think is one of our better data pages we've had in a long time. So, why don't you tell us, uh, Ruben, about what we learned from this this awesome data page about the Great Ring of Arako? Pretty much everything. I mean, it's a complete breakdown of the history of the Iraq, uh, the Iraqi, and the role that the Table of Night or Seed of Night, <laughs> played in, in their society. And so roughly, um, and you can fill in the blanks here, roughly it was um, a check on the main seats. And then at some point in time, Genesis didn't like being checked. And so she kind of abandoned them. And then they sort of kept kept around in secret. Um, yeah, waiting more to hints about Genesis kind of breaking away from the, the traditional ways of doing things, where first she just makes them advisors, and then it seems like she comes up with an excuse to have them just executed. Or a Serata, the giant eye, blinked them out of existence. And and then we talk about the prison years again. And yeah, so- and that took over Araco, and then the prison years. And I guess uh, it says here, there was one born with eyes of fire that's all truth. I, I guess. <laughs> Truth's terrible and wonderful. And this is someone not on the council or not at the table of night anymore. Unless it's the Fisher King, right? We don't know. It could be. I don't think so because we say we hear there's one born of one born of smoke and swiftly caged. That's size of the smoke. We're clear, clear there. There was one born with eyes of fire that saw truths terrible and wonderful, period. Which makes me think, okay, that's done with that one. Next to the next one. And then it says, 
there was one with no weapon at all. Ah, so you think that's Fisher King? That's the Fisher King. And that one saw what the Great Ring had become and saw the need for a shadow table once more. So I think that's the Fisher King saying, hey, we need to go back to this old tradition and put together this this table of night to save our bacon if we need to. Yeah, so that's I not a think bit. that, and they talk about one being lost in the Trial of Swords. Uh, they found hope in their dungeons even after the loss of one of their own. So I'm thinking that that one born with eyes of fire is, the one is, is someone who died in X of Swords. I think I need to go back and try to figure out who that might have been because I think that's the implication. We had the three, and then one died, and that opened up a seat. And then at some point, that's where the Fisher King approached Roberto da Costa and said, "Hey." You want to, you know, you want to have a seat here because that's the only way that uh, Roberto could get in if there was an opening. Yeah, I would say there does seem to be a little bit of revisionist history in that it seems like they're saying Tarn, the uncaring, sort of took over everything at that point in time. I, I never got that impression when I was reading X of Swords. Like I understood he was a um, evil person that controlled a large section, but I always thought it was more like a fiefdom, not all of the Iraqi. I mean, we know the Iraqi have a huge, huge, long history. So there could have been lots of different periods of time. So I'd be curious to see that section fleshed out a little bit. But I do think this is done well to do this on a data page rather than have eight pages of you know back and forth chit chat explaining it all. Just just put it on the data page, hand it to us. I'm happy with that. And we do say that size of the smoke holds the seat of nowhere. The person who has no name, who we've been calling the Fisher King, has the seat of nothing. And Roberto da Costa holds the seat of nobody. So those are those are pretty Al Ewing kind of names, I think, but we'll, we'll go with it. So yeah, now we're kind of coming to the towards the end of this book already. I mean, a lot has happened, and the bad thing that happens is we learn, hey, oh, all these things that Oranos unleashed on the planet, oh, they're they're self repairing. So the ultra humanite looking gorilla comes back to life, and the droids come back together. You know, reassemble Stephanie occurs. We have the the drone ship coming back to attack Richard Ryder again, and we're in bad shape. But now Storm reminds us that, hey, back in, oh, what was that issue? Uh, Uncanny number 150 back in 1981, a very good year when I was six whole years old, uh, we were shown that Magneto can tap into Storm's electrical gift. And back then he did it without a permission. But now they kind of join together and she supercharges him and He's so supercharged, he calls up part of the molten core of Mars, and Mars does have a molten core of iron. I looked that up, so okay, we'll buy that. And this melts the uh, ultra-humanite-looking gorilla just down to bits of goo. He's he's not reassembling himself from this. What did you think of that little pairing of the two? I'm a big fan of this era where they're showing how mutants working together with their powers can do more than they can individually. So I thought it was cool. It, it was very cool. And again, we see the other Iraqi mutants looking out saying, hey, that's that was pretty nifty. That's not a bad idea. Maybe we should do more of this. <laughs> yeah. I do wish that Ewing had prevented his urge to make kind of little sexual innuendos about how Storm and Magneto were merging yeah. together here. It, it, that got a little crass. I thought that was that could have been edited out. But. Oh, well. Uh, so, and then we just get our last page where they say, hey, all we, we can't just go around the planet killing these things over and over. They're going to heal themselves. We got to go to the source. And who is the source? Who can turn these things off once and for all? That's Oranos. So we get this final really cool looking splash page, you know, determined heroes with their arms crossed across their chest, just looking badass. And yeah, they're going to try to get to Oranos. 
how they're going to get there, what they're going to do when they get there, well, we'll find out pretty soon. But that was X-Men Red number six. So what what do you have to say about this this whole book now that we've gone through it? This is one of my favorite parts of the event. What happened on Mars was interesting. Seeing the kind of Iraqi council getting restructured is good. I mean, we're, we're starting to get a sense of who these characters are. And that's really hard, right? Because they introduced a pretty large collection and expected us to care about them immediately. And I don't know, this is like a lot of world building, right? But I enjoy world building. It it's it interesting. Is, and it's it's actually making me care about Iraqi characters. And I have never cared about these characters, aside from a couple in Hellions, maybe. But sure. for the most part, they just look like these goofy, you know, Dungeon Dragons throw together some random powers and call it a day. But this actually makes me think there's a there's a world here, there's a history and a culture that I think it would I, I I want to know more about them, which is not something I thought I would ever say. So yeah, so it's impressive, right? Some good work by Al Ewing to make me care about these folks. Yep. One thing I still want to know is just how bad did Oranos hurt Arako? Right? Are we down ten percent from the huge numbers they had there? You know, is it like a true one in ten decimation? Is it more than that? Are they mostly? Are they down to just a remnant? I I still don't really know the scale. We know it's really 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 awful, but Maybe maybe I'm bloodthirsty, or I played too many uh, you know <laughs> war game simulation things. But I want to know, okay, how how many Arako mutants are still left? Because that's going to affect the X Men world going forward. Is have we reduced these huge numbers down to something more manageable, or are they still huge numbers? It's definitely not huge numbers. I thought there was a percentage description at some point, like eighty five or ninety percent were gone. But when you start out with a million, right, that still leaves you. 100,000. Right when the attack started, we saw that map where all the attacks were starting, but I don't think we I don't think we really got at the end of the attacks how well they had done. But maybe we'll find out or maybe they want to leave that open because they haven't decided what to do with these yet and they don't want to they don't want to box the next right into a corner quite yet. Urnos was bragging at how the percentage that he killed in a, in an hour, but the problem was it was like a percentage over a certain distance and so that's what you don't know, right? Is like well, how many people lived in that radius? I'm pretty sure they're keeping this vague on purpose so they can do whatever they want in the future. But I want to know. I'm I'm greedy. And that I think that's all we need to say about X-Men Red this week, other than we liked it. Okay, now on to the main series itself, Judgment Day number four, written by our main man, head of Axe, Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Shidi, which is awesome. Uh, this cover here by Mark Brooks looks really nice, although it is all our characters yelling. It reminds me of that Anchorman clip, the, the loud noises GIF you see posted sometimes, because they're just all, ah, which, you know, they're having a rough day. They have, they're being zapped to pieces by the progenitor, apparently. And this, I mean, again, we got to say, I don't like everything that happens in this book, the judgments. I'm still, I'm going to try to restrain myself from just saying exactly how annoyed I am by each and every judgment. Overall, I don't like them. But you, you got to hand it to Kieran Gillen. He's not holding back, right? This he's going for. He's he's this is a big event. Major things are happening. This is a total cop out statement, but this is my new revised theory is, you know, when people judge other people, they're not always logical in their judgments. And so there's roughly a consistency, but sometimes he just doesn't like people. And the progenitor just like, nope, you get a thumbs down. I'm still going with my he has a, a cosmic screw loose theory, and it's just, you know, he was just Frankenstein together by People didn't really know what they were doing, 
and you know he needs to have his his system wiped. The real reality is this is just Karen Gillan. He's like, I like this character. Thumbs up. I don't <laughs> like this character. Thumbs down. I would have loved to have seen a squirrel squirrel girl and get her giving a thumbs down. <laughs> I needed that. That wasn't given to oh, me. Oh, that's what we need. Maybe there'll be one more tie-in. Right? <laughs> they keep adding these one-shot tie-ins. You have Axe Avengers, Axe Eternals, Axe X Men, Axe West Coast Avengers. That's what we need to see. And we'll, we'll get to it, but I will say the the Doctor Doom judgment probably was my favorite part of, of this. <laughs> the Doom one was hilarious, and we'll get to it eventually. Okay, yeah. So we start off here. Uh, we've been seeing hints, and maybe not consistent hints, or maybe we've been going back and forth in time, but the population of Earth isn't taking this very well, naturally enough. So we're here in New York City at the base of the X-Men's treehouse, and... Uh, there's basically a riot going on, and it's kind of pathetic because teeny tiny little Captain America in the middle is yelling, calm down. And, and, you know, funny, but it's not working. I don't know if he's surprised it's not working. He seems to be maybe at the end of his rope. He's already gotten the thumbs down, so he's got to be in a bad mood. Well, it's admirable, though, that even even though he's been judged inadequate, he's still out here trying to... That's true. That is that is very, very Captain America. Still, still doing his duty as best as he can, even when it seems pretty hopeless. And who's that jerk that's punching him? I mean, I, I guess it's right. Anything happens, but <laughs> the guy with the the yellow hoodie, yeah, it's yeah, also raining like... out. So you know, it's a, it's a rough day all along. Yeah. So we don't really get much from here except that, yeah, stuff's breaking down in the human world. Pop over to uh, Avengers Mountain kind of area. <coughs> excuse me, where the uh, they're they're actually hanging out and talking about. Oh, okay, we're the we're the team who put this big thing together. Oops, our bad. What what do we do now? And they have Eros with them. Still looking like somebody not allowed within 500 feet of a school. And and Cersei has the idea, well, hey, Eros, you can control people's emotions and things. Maybe you, maybe you make it look like we're all happy, happy, joy, joy now. Age of Aquarius, all getting along, peace and love. And maybe that'll be enough to fool the progenitor, which I think is a bad idea because, again, it assumes that's what the progenitor wants when we haven't really seen much to, to support that that's what the progenitor wants. And anyway, Eros is not having any of it. Yeah, he's smart enough to say that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it. Yeah, he's gonna be going around the whole world. We see him over the next couple pages mixed up with other stuff. We see him going to Wakanda, talking to Black Panther, who's not actually in charge of Wakanda at this moment in time, but don't worry about that. We see him talking to uh uh Shaw and the mutants, we see him talking at the UN, and he's he seems to be negotiating something, but I really don't understand what he's negotiating for what is he he's talking about trying to get okay maybe we'll get human rights and environmental stuff but since when have, have the eternals been all about that i don't haven't got the idea they've cared about any of that no the thing they care about is are you deviant or not yeah kill the deviants protect the celestials and you know protect the machine those are their big things nothing there about oh be a hoot don't pollute that hasn't come up but again this is where the the i think some of the moral level of the story that Kieran Gillen's kind of trying to pour over the top doesn't really make sense to me. And again, I'm hoping there'll be a reveal that says, oh, here's what's really going on, and here's my actual point. I'm hoping. Keep hope alive. But mixed in with this, we see a whole bunch of judgments here, including all of our civilians, but also a bunch of supers. So first we get our civilian Tom. He has just a basic ethnic altercation with some people you think might be Eastern European. So uh, I, I guess that's a test. Again, some of these are just judgments on what they've already done. Some are tests that the progenitor kind of puts together, like you know, fake out tests, like psychological exams, and 
judges on that. So I think this is the progenitor putting together a test for him that he fails. Oh, well. Then we check in with Luke Cage, who is, of course, currently the mayor. And uh, the progenitor pretends to be a, uh, a reporter, which is kind of funny, and says, how do you judge your performance? And Luke Cage, really getting into this whole politician gig, says, ask me tomorrow, which is a very, I can hear Ed, like Ed Koch saying something like that. Very, very mayor of New York politician thing to say. But the progenitor does not like politicians. No, he says, not. that's not an option. He fails by default. And you even see, presumably, that progenitor reporter giving a big old thumbs down to Luke Cage. Thor passes because why does Thor pass? Explain to me, Ruben, why Thor passes so easily. Well, because Majolner is only wielded by someone who's worthy, and so by default, he's worthy. Well, the hammer says he's fine, so I guess we're going to defer to the hammer. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, Kamala Khan obviously passes. Uh, Katrina, who is she? Our uh, our social media person. Yeah, she's the one who's always tweeting about things, and 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 she fails. Ruben, tell me why she fails. Uh, I don't even recall the scene. She looks- she fails because she didn't leave a tip in the hotel uh, room great. for the maid. Which that really feels like that's kind of Kieran Gillen's like something he's always grinded his gears. People who don't leave tips for hotel maids, and he just wanted to get that in a comic book, and he managed to get it in. That that's what it feels like to me. Now my wife has that same opinion. Um, if you do not leave a tip, it leads to major problems in our household. <laughs> but the converse of that is if you give a too big of a tip, she also gets really upset about oh, that. Oh, so it's it's a very uh it's very hilarious to me. Tough balance there. Okay. Yes. What what is the what is the appropriate amount of money to leave for a hotel with their staff maybe? Yeah, for her it's it's one to five dollars per day, depending on the quality of the service that you are given. Mm, okay. What about these days where they don't actually come in? until after you check out. Is it still $1 to $5 a day, or does that go down? I see. Yeah, no, it'd probably be like 5 if it's multiple days, just a flat 5. Okay. I mean, okay. for her, the for her, the point of view is, um, you know, she had parents that had this kind of a job, right? And I think they get paid based on the assumption that people are tipping them, but that's not actually always happening. Okay. So that's our, uh, our lesson for today. Always tip your hotel staff. Uh, our next judgment is Charles Xavier. And I thought this was pretty good, too. It's a very uh, cats in the cradle moment where his his boy uh, uh, Legion, except it's not really Legion; it's the progenitor, comes and say, "Hey, uh, I I need to talk, Dad." And uh, Xavier says, "Later, I'm busy, kid. Go away." And he gets a thumbs down from that. Yeah, and that kind of plays off of what we saw in what was it X Men or maybe it's Immortal? No, it's probably Immortal. Immortal. Where right. He was like, "I'm too busy to do anything. I'm fighting all these." Right, he's doing the psychic battle, and it even said back then, maybe I was judged already and didn't even notice. And we find out here, he's being judged now, and it says flat out, he doesn't even notice. So that that was a nice little connection, just a little connection between two books, both written by Kieran Gillen. Uh, we see Komali, who is the wife of the original civilian who died to resurrect one of the Hex. And this, again, is a little weird. This is a person who... he's. The progenitor isn't deferring judgment like he is for a lot of people. Yeah, he's afraid of getting judged by her. <laughs> Again, it, it's, it's a nice moment if you think about it a little bit. But if you think about it a little more, the progenitor's judging the entire freaking world, right? He's going to condemn literally billions of people to death. And this one person is too much for him to handle? Uh, I don't know if I, I bought that. But that's what we're going with. And we see that Starbrand gets to pass. Again, the, the very simple. I'm a I'm a hero who punches things and doesn't think too hard. 
Those heroes seem to get off real easy in the progenitor's books. He seems to like those. It's the people who are a little more complicated that uh, tend to be more self-critical that he judges more harshly, which maybe that's the point. Are we supposed to, I'm not sure if we're supposed to think that the progenitor's judgments are things we're supposed to support or things we're supposed to make us uncomfortable. And I'm hoping we get maybe a little resolution on that. We found out that uh, civilian Daniela, uh, she goes to text her mom that things are going to be okay, and she texts her I'm going home, and she passes because she's nice to her mom. And then, okay, Ruben, I'll let you do this one because this is your favorite. Uh, Victor <laughs> Von Doom gets the judgment. And how are we going to judge yeah, Victor so Von Doom? Yeah, so the progenitor shows up to him and says, all you have to do is say that Reed Richards is smarter than you and I'll pass you. <laughs> <laughs> and Doom laughs and basically just walks off. Yeah. <laughs> and it says that he, he passes himself and then the progenitor's like, yep, I agree. <laughs> so again, that's that's really funny. That's very funny and satisfying, but... Again, it's it's Doctor Freaking Doom, right? If anybody's it's sort of like get Thor, it, yeah, it's, it's sort of bit, like Thor. Yeah, because you know Thor is worthy, right? He just believes. Well, he has to be worthy, so Majorner, you know, passes him, right? And this is Doom is so self confident that he's by default worthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just feeling his purpose. Run the last few <laughs> real quick because it's the same thing over and over. Uh, Jada, who is our who was protesting against the mutants because her was it her mother died, some one of her relatives died and didn't come back. So, see, now she is more complicated. She understands, she despairs, she's sad about what these protesters have turned into, and she passes from that. And we get Daredevil, who was one of our more complicated characters, always questioning himself, am I doing the right thing? And he fails. And again, this is a couple times I've said, Kieran Gillen does religious imagery in a way I don't like. He says, I, meaning the progenitor, appear with a crown of thorns and a downturned thumb. Now, there's a meme I do not want to see is, you know, the resurrected Jesus Christ giving the thumbs down. I didn't even want that picture in my head, but that's what we're doing. I guess it must be tough for you to read Daredevil then, right? Being that it's all about the Catholic well, character that always it's, sins. It's when it's done it's well. A lot of times it just kind of seems to be thrown in, oh, we need a panel reminding us he feels guilty. Just like some some like the cheap jokes about Jewish guilt or Catholic guilt, I think if you if that's all you know is oh he's Catholic therefore he feels guilty that can feel kind of phony. But if it's actually used to deepen the character and make him a richer person, but again it's hard to do that in the Marvel universe when actual gods are flying around all the time. It's it's hard to do religion when you could just you know call up God on the phone, stand at a dais, and talk to him. So I understand, I understand it's hard to do, but... Yeah, this is a judgment call, right? I actually found this to be a touching moment, but um, I can see how it could insult somebody as well. It's one panel, at least. <laughs> it, is. it went by quickly, and I, I told myself I'm not going to hump on these, so continuing through. Miles gets passed, because he's Miles, and Kenta, kind of the young preteen, still not doing his homework, and it says, he is too young. I am not a monster. But I mean, you, you are, though, progenitor. We're going to see you in a few minutes. Again, literally just raining fire on people. So little in little ways, maybe you're not a monster. In the big picture, you are 1,000% a monster. Trying to have it both ways. So those are our judgments. And now we get Eros kind of trying to talk about, oh, what can we do? We want to negotiate. We want to do this. We want to do that. Uh, we get Druig talking to Oranos. And at this point, things speed up really quickly. He he's talks to Oranos saying, hey, uh, things aren't going so well. We got a knockout blow for the mutants. How about I put together the Unimind 
And the Unimind isn't just a big, you know, voting legislature. It's also can be formed into a war form, a weapon. And hey, uh, Oranos actually tells Druig that's a pretty good idea, which is the nicest thing he's ever said to Druig, the nicest thing he, spoiler, will ever say to Druig. Uh, he says, you know, though, don't forget, you could just let me out. I, you know, I'm tougher than any war form. And Druig says, yeah, no. And we fly. Next, pa- next panel, same page even. Hey, hey, all Eternals, we're unleashing the Unimind. Turn the page. We've got the Unimind, which in this case looks like a big prismatic kind of giant daddy long leg spider, I guess. Yeah, it's like a brain with legs. And then there's a weird tail thing. It's pretty gross. It's, it's really cool looking. A real nice drawing by Valeria Shidi here. And we see some Eternals start to attack it because it's attacking Krakoa. And then our Eternals, you know, are the ones we've been following, Fastos and Cersei, etc. They jump into the Unimind and they call for a vote. Uh, hey, we want a, a new uh, a new Prime Eternal. And Druig says, hey, you don't have enough people here to, to win. And then we have a very convenient hack take place. Again, super, super quick. I think it's quick on purpose to make us not think too hard about it. We're told deep inside the machine, we have Icarus, yeah, Icarus and does Gilgamesh. something that opens the gate into the Unimind for the psychic mm-hmm. mutants. Now, I, I would have thought if you put Fastos here, because we know Fastos knows how to monkey around with a machine, I would have bought this more. Gilgamesh, I don't get the, the idea that he's... I guess he also he knows the ins and outs of the machine because they hide in the he, he did yeah the ex- right? the exclusion yeah he's like the expert on on that so he's fine it should have definitely been Fastos and Gilgamesh though so Gilgamesh says disabling the firewalls and this lets I guess just the psychic members of the mutants yeah that's all I see yep and I think this is a mistake here because uh, Charles Xavier says very well X Men but it's not the X Men we we already know the X Men are a separate group. These are just general Krakoan mutant psychic types. So they are able to enter the Unimind, and they all vote for Eros, which I I would have thought, again, I, I want to know how this legislative process goes on. There's, there's 100 Eternals, so even with this, you know, dozen or so mutants, that's, I mean, that could be the deciding factor in, in close race, but I would think that most Eternals seeing their legislature being invaded by these non-Eternals would just automatically vote against them. What do you think? Well, you're going to have all the, the hero Eternals get their vote too, right? So, I don't know. I mean, you could you could probably count it up and it might, you know, get closer to win. Mm. Which sometimes we've seen some very detailed vote counts of who votes which way. That's not with what Kieran Gillen is, is concerned with you. He just wants to get to the end. Hey, uh, they all vote for Eros. Eros wins. And let, let's just let's just list the the uh, mutants who are here. So Jean Grey is in the lead, of course. Makes I'm sense. I'm not gonna be able to do this. <laughs> I think I've got all of them. I've got there's like one I don't know. Yeah, Over there's Proteus, Proteus, Mister Sinister. Okay, the... I, I've, got, I've got it written down. You can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. So yeah, Jean Grey, of course, in the middle. Over on the left, Mister Sinister and Proteus. I think we've got Mentalo or Mentalo, however you say that. With we've got four of the cuckoos. I think another, the lady kind of in the front on the left there, maybe that's Betsy Braddock. Could that be, could that be her? I'm not sure where she is at the moment. Yeah, I'm one, that's one of those I'm sure about. But she is psychic, so that would make sense. Yeah, she's the, the, the one with the hand on her hip, right? Yep, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm going with Betsy Braddock, I'm not sure. And then in the back, we see, see the Shadow King with the fez on. Oh, that's a fez. Okay, that was one of the ones I was confused about, because I was like, what's up with that funky looking head? But yeah, that works, okay. Okay, over on the other side, we've got Professor X. We've got, I think, Cassandra Nova, Rachel Summers, 
Exodus. Maybe, is that Kid Omega next to Exodus? It kind of looks like him. I think I see glasses on him. Yeah, Again, I'm maybe. not sure if he's really in play at the moment. According to X-Force, I think he's still missing. Yeah, We have seen him twice in this event, though, so it almost makes me wonder if... Well, but they had the X-Force crossover where he was still gone, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it looks like him more than anyone else. And then behind them, I think that's Chamber. And the lady next to Chamber, I don't know who that is. Again, but two, there's two, there's two uh, female characters here, both with their hands on their hips, and I don't know who they are. Maybe it's but again, these, these are all the psychic heavy hitters uh, of the, 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 the mutants. So it makes sense that they'd be the ones, if anybody's able to get in, they'd be able to get in. I mean, I, just to belabor this point, I'm okay with this vote. And one, we have seen the Unimind form before in other Eternals comics where, where non-Eternals show up in the Unimind. And two, we've seen that you can basically call a vote at any time. If you lose the vote, that's a problem. And then three, we've seen um, in some of the Gillen issues basically saying that like these people will go along with Druig because they're committed to honoring their culture, but not because they actually support him. So my the way I'm going to go with this is basically there might be some people like um, oh my god, what's his name? The uh, the guy that lost the seat in the first place to Druig. Um, Oh, Zerus? Zerus, thank you. Yes, yep. The guy, he's on the cover screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could totally see him flipping, right? Like, he was going along with it because, well, that's what you do for their society. But if there's an opportunity to, like, dethrone him, I would totally expect him to Yeah, flip. I mean, even even in the real world, they talk about something called a preference cascade. Have you heard that term? I've heard about, like, in, like, uh, authoritarian societies where it seems like, oh, of course, everyone thinks that Dictator Jones is the best guy ever. Because that's what you got to say. But as soon as there's a crack in the facade, oh, and yeah, some people flips. are free to say no, down yeah. with Dictator Jones, then suddenly there's a cascade and everyone actually reveals, oh, we've always hated that guy. And we have seen in a previous issue, they talk about the psychic battle between the eternal psychics and the mutant psychics. And I think it was, I'm not sure exactly who it was who said that, but said that the eternals have like, oh, it must have been the machine talking because it said the eternals are like the they're not as strong, but they have all the hit points, and the mutants are, you know, they're pretty easy to kill, but they're much stronger, actually, their their psychic powers. So I think that might have been a little foreshadowing that makes this make sense too. I would I would have loved to see, you know, a little more detail. Again, give me a data page explaining Explain things. how it works more. Yeah. yeah give, me, give me a little more data. I would have loved it, but I understand we're in headlong get stuff done mode. I know you and I just brought it all to a crashing halt because- that's what we do here, overanalyze things, but I, I see what Gillen's doing. These maybe eight pages are extremely rushed. I really like everything that happens in it, but the pacing, based on what's gone on elsewhere in this, it's a little weird. I, I get why it's done there. It's not like, you know, sometimes you see you know a, a book gets canceled early or something, and then they've got to get all these five issues worth of plot points out at once. This is very much on purpose. And again, just, just me as a nerd wants to know more details. So Eros is about to be made Prime Eternal. The voting is is done, but uh, Druig is panicking. Druig, we've said before, he's not suited to be Prime Eternal, right? He he is he's the schemer in the background. He's the one who sneaks around and it tells the king to do something for his own purposes. It just doesn't fit his personality to be on, on the throne right up there in, in front. So he's panicking here. He's never been good at this. And what does the, the dumb son of a gun do in his panic? Yeah, so somebody contacts him and it's like, hey, you're going to lose this vote. Do you know who that is? Oh, I mean, it's got to be Ornos. <laughs> yeah. So he basically contacts him and then 
says, hey, you're going to lose the vote. But if you let me out, I can turn the vote. <laughs> because basically, if you recall, like the the prime Eternals, uh, you know, the heads of the household, like I think there's three of them. Basically, the right. oldest. Yep. Back when there was the three patriarchs, I think they called yeah, them. Yeah, yes. Uh, patriarchs, that's a better term for it. So yeah, they can basically force all Eternals in their um, line to vote however they want. So right. they're not real family trees because obviously we know Eternals don't reproduce, but they've been kind of put together as if there's, you know, brotherly, fatherly, motherly relationships. And it's like if you're, you can control the votes of all your not actual descendants. Just override. And because it, he's one of the, the oldest, the main ones, most senior ones, he can just swing a whole ton of votes. So he says, hey, let me in the Unimind. I can, I can swing all my votes and everyone's going to listen to me anyway because of Oranos. And Druig says, uh, okay, machine, release Oranos. And, then and does, does Oranos <laughs> live up to his promise? Does he come to Druig's rescue? Yeah, no. He just kind of laughs, basically. He's like, thanks for letting me out. He doesn't even come in. I thought he might enter the Unimind and make himself Prime Eternal. But he doesn't even do that. He just wants to be free so he can, you know, he's all out of bubble gum and he still needs to kick some ass. So he's just, he just wants to go kill people. He's right. He's the... uh the omni-genocide guy. He just wants to go back to his, you know, I like killing people mode. So we've got Oranos out. We've got Eros as Prime Eternal. And we've got Oranos setting free uh, one, the, the first, you know, apocalypse, you know, small A apocalypse, end of the world kind of stuff we're seeing in this issue. We see the, the hexagonal portals opening, uh, just energy pouring out and destroying what I guess is Sydney, Australia there by the Opera House. We see horrible robo insect monsters attacking Paris. It's just it's it's bad. And even Druig says, you know, I, I may have made a mistake as he's about to have his lights punched out by Exodus. So we have like competing you know, ends of the worlds going on here. So they're going to try to fight. So now we're not even worrying about the progenitor for again like like two pages, super super quick. Uh, the people on Earth have no way to fight Oranos, but. A backup force arrives. And where does the backup force come from? Mars. How do they get back to Earth? Yeah, this part, <laughs> the, same way, the same way that Storm got back and forth from Mars, even though there were no portals, <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah, we get a little bit of blah, blah, and, and like two small panels about, oh, there's some traces of these openings that Oranos's yeah. armory left. We can hack into those. And we can use this, oh, giant electromagnetic charge from... Our convenient master of magnetism can break it open and, you know, boom, boom, boom. We've got our group, who wants to, our group who wanted to kill Oranos, who we just saw at the end of X-Men Red. They get back to Earth and Oranos is already out and about. So this is just what they wanted. They should have just used that Nightseat character that's allegedly a Nightcrawler proxy, right? They say that she can teleport anywhere she remembers. So, like, Nightcrawler, is he line of sight, Nightcrawler? Yeah, no, they have the exact same power. He can go anywhere that he can. Oh, okay. Clearly, same, okay. Yeah, clearly see. I mean, the, the big issue for him usually is he's been somewhere, right? But they might be moving around. And then he's like, well, you know, I remember but one They don't way. use her. They, they use something, yada, yada, Oranos' portal. Don't worry about it. They're here. And we see, again, the combination of Storm and Magneto attacking Oranos. And it's kind of effective, right? At least. It knocks him back off his feet a little bit, which is the first time we've ever seen Oranos suffer any kind of damage or setback. So that's impressive right there. But he's he's still going to win. 
But we found out, hey, actually was only a delaying tactic because what is Tony Stark doing? Yeah, he's hacking Ernest's portals. More hacking. Yeah, and we've seen, I mean, they mention that basically, I think one of the reasons, where was it? It might have been Racco, but basically there was something about these portals opening and having like laser beams come out of them and these beams being very powerful and effective. I, I so, guess we already found out that on, on Mars, they kind of hacked into Ornos's portal. So this is, it's almost like not a new hacking. It's kind of extending the hacking they're already doing. And whatever it does is it, it allows uh, Magneto to open up these portals and just blast energy at Ornos, which it looks like it kills him, but I guess it doesn't quite. We see that, we find out like in a panel that uh, he's not actually dead. The mutants wanted to kill him, but then, yeah, we know if we kill him, he'll reassemble in the exclusion, but that'll kill a human. We don't want to do that. But it says he's tell he's back in his cell, telekinetically reassembling himself. So again, they really skipped over how do they get Oranos back into prison. But I, I would really think the only way you could get him back into prison is by killing him. I don't know how you arrest him. I mean, we, we'll probably see this in one of the crossover issues. Could and be, I, because another thing that happens really quick. Yeah, the fight against him is extremely uh, quick. This is one of the areas that I just didn't like the pacing, because we've seen him as such a world-ending badass, right? And it might be because we had an entire issue of him you know, wrecking uh, Araco that it felt bizarre they've effectively taken him out and was like four issue or four pages, maybe five yeah, so pages. They take out and from all the effort, Magneto falls and dies. And we get a reminder that this is a for real death. He deleted himself from Cerebro. He says he doesn't want to be brought back. Yeah, sure. There's still that, uh, that thing that uh, Scarlet Witch made that has all the backup. So there's always an out here, but he says he doesn't want to come back. And at the moment of his death, he also gets his judgment. We see that uh, the progenitor says, he sees me as I slip away. I take the form of the one he thought lost. So my guess for that is that this is his daughter. Yeah, that's what people have said. So this is like way, way back when he was still in Germany. He, his wife, he and his wife Magda had his daughter Anya, and she died in a fire and a mob I don't know if the mob set the fire, but they at least prevented him from going and rescuing. This is like the standard Magneto flashback we get all the time. Just like you, you flash back to the pearls for Batman, you flash back to the fire and Anya for Magneto. So taking the form of his deceased daughter, uh, he gets the thumbs up. And we actually see Magneto himself kind of in the corner of the panel making a thumbs up gesture. I think that's on purpose. You see that? And again, I, I this happens super quick. I think uh, we might see more of this in the next X-Men Red, which number seven comes out in October 5th. So one, two, yeah, basically basically two weeks from now, I think we get the next one. So this could be expanded. We, we've said that happened in this event a few times. Where we get the brief picture and then the tie-ins, we get the more expansive, more emotional look. And it would make sense that if Magneto is going to die, it should be in X-Men Red because that's where this whole arc has been. I would be shocked if we get to X-Men Red number seven and say, oh, well, Magneto's dead. Let's move on. Yeah, the aftermath. That would be really, that would uh, be, be doing the Al Ewing pretty dirty, not letting him write the end of that, that, that arc he set up so well. Okay, so that's all of that nonsense. Our final little act here is we have Eros on this dais to let you talk to the progenitor. He pleads Earth's case. He's now the prime eternal. He's made whatever deals he wants to make with Krakoa and with the humans. 
And he does what I think is on purpose, a very standard, you know, make your best case for humanity speech. Yeah. Right. We have, we, we, we've been real bad, but we have potential and we can be better, but we need some time. So, hey, progenitor. Give us another shot, will you, mister? Yeah, I was kind of down on this issue up until this part, right? Because it really felt, and, and maybe I was just foolish, right? Not thinking like, what issue is this in the in the event? But I almost felt like, oh, this is the last issue, right? As I'm reading this. And it's the same thing, the group hug thing you always get, the kumbaya. We don't know how to end a, a series. Yep, Chris likes to call it the Care Bear Stare. Yeah, give her a stir. That's great. <laughs> the bottom of the page with Eros is just perfect, right? Because as you said, he kind of looked a little creepier in other in other you know pages. And here he looks very wholesome, and he's smiling, and he's just like reaching out, you know, hand, the the open hand, you know, give us another chance, right? If you end if you end humanity now, we'll never be able to prove that we're worthy. <laughs> it's all in your hands, right? Like it's so and it's good. this very hopeful. Oh, you can feel your heart <laughs> swelling. You can hear the strings playing. The music comes up, and you turn the page, and progenitor uh, doesn't even give a spoken answer. He just turns his thumb all the way down. I have watched enough. I've judged enough. You have all lived enough. If you had a million years, you'd never do enough. You'll always be better tomorrow, but you don't realize one day tomorrow's would run out. And that day, my friends, is today. You've had enough chances. It's like, again, I, I'm a teacher. You know, that one kid who says, oh, you know, mister, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do better. On my, I'll, I'll do my homework better next time. I'll stop cheating on the person next to me next time. And after a while, you go, yeah, I don't believe you. And the progenitor does not believe them and unleashes some sort of, I don't know what, but we, we take a look at New York City. And there's there's this light, this orange, red, nasty light coming down, just turning people to bones and clothing and nothing else. Uh, We see Captain America holds a shield that protects himself. I don't know why the guy he's holding with him is also dying. I thought maybe he'd be protected, but maybe he was dead already. But yeah, this is, we thought we were going to get the end of the world from Oranos. We averted that. Three pages later, it's the end of the world from the progenitor. And even Captain America always optimistic, always will find a way, Captain America says, in very small letters, we're going to die. And <laughs> I also love, we turn the page, we get a preview for the, the next issue, number five, which by the way, comes out next week. And the only preview says, next, three tiny words, it's too late. Oh, this is Gillen going from that hopeful, hopeful moment with arrows to crushing that hope. There is no hope at the end of this book. That's That's pretty... Again, the judgments aside, I think that's that's pretty impressive for an event book to really make us think, wow. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he's not really going to end the entire world for good. Oh yeah? No. He makes he makes you feel like, well, maybe he will. Just a little. We know it's not for real, but it makes you makes you at least think about what would it be like if he will. Yeah, it calls back a little bit to the snap, right? It gives you the same kind of vibe of like, holy crap, what just happened? Like, he's really wrecked a lot of things. I mean, even with the Infinite Gauntlet, I never thought, oh, you know, half the populace is dead. But it feels big. And it's hard to, it's hard to feel big in these You can't events. say that Gillen is holding back or being timid here. He is 1,000% going for it. And you got to hand it to him for that. The only thing that will really upset me is if we find out that, that like, the attack on the Progenitor, this was all just a mind game. Oh, they, I don't think they can play that trick again. We did that, that one trick with the, the one swear that happened. They can't. They, they, if they do it again, we, you know, we riot, and we're not. We're not taking that. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> Kieran Gillen, I'm in your fan club, but I'm, you know, I'll be pissed off. So, 
How do we think they might get out of this one? Do you have any any theories, any wild, wild, irresponsible speculation how they might get out of this? Yeah, the only thing I can think of, but it hasn't been mentioned in this event, so it'd be weird for this to be the play, is the Sinister Moira clone rebooting. Because he, at least in Immortal, he he said, I think in one of the one of the comment bubbles, he says something like, "Maybe I'll survive Judgment Day this time." Yeah, I was really early in Immortal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, I mean, if and they've said Judgment Day in this event, right? In in the pages of the comic, it's not just the title of this event. So it's sort of like it seems like the characters also recognize this event as Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you that that if we're just thinking in the Marvel universe, in universe, what makes sense. That's certainly a possibility, but story-wise, it would be very. It wouldn't feel right to do that in this story because that hasn't been foreshadowed in this story. It would feel completely out of left field, completely artificial. So yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they're going to do that. But outside of that, I just I don't know, right? Like, is the progenitor going to fix things? Is the only thing I can think of is every other time we see something weird happen with like a celestial on Earth. Oh, the other, the other celestials up. usually show up. Right, so I don't know. I would I would think that this new weird Frankenstein celestial being put online is probably triggering some alert on some celestial's you know cell phone somewhere. Oh, the new celestial came online. That's weird. I it's it's certainly possible that we're going to get you know the seventy fifth host or whatever host is next come back and and try to clean up the mess. Like, ooh, hey, hey, this is our planet. If anyone's going to kill this planet, it's us, not you. You're dead. We made you into a house for some Avengers. Go back there. That could be. I could. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that, though. That would be okay with me. Again, it's a, a really deus ex space machina. But that is what the Celestials are. Celestials are giant deus ex machina. They're, they're gods we can't possibly understand. So if they do something that seems dramatically unsatisfying, hey, that's that's their shtick. As long, again, as long as it's not, this was all just a progenitor mind game. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I, I really hope. I, I do think that it might be... I, I do think the outcome is going to be putting the Eternals away for a while. Putting them, you know, shuffling them off and, you know, putting them in the in the background for a bit. Uh, so what do you think is going to happen with a Magneto? Is he is he really dead? Or like for a... Like, think he's going to be back really soon? Think he's off the board for months or years? I think... I'm going to say a year. So I think my... My over-under is going to say, do you think he's going to be dead longer than Kitty was in Marauders? And there, <laughs> she died in issue number six, January 2020, and was resurrected in issue 11, August of 2020. So, like, eight months. Over-under. They put Apocalypse away since Exoswords, right? We haven't seen him. That's been about a year, so. But, I mean, Apocalypse, he kind of comes and goes. Like, when he's when he's around for X-Men, he's really big. But he goes a long time between appearances. You think Magneto is necessary? He's pretty much a constant. But he was gone after um, all new X-Men, after the Morrison run, for, for quite a period. So. Didn't he come back as a resurrected somebody who didn't know was Magneto, a clone or something? Or, I mean, it, it could be, it's either going to be a long time or it's going to be, and this, this will also be okay to me, is if they bring him back and then it's like, we brought you back against your will, right? And then he's like, WTF, like... Yeah, that that could be okay. I, that could be another Professor Xavier being, you know, morally ambiguous Professor Xavier. We needed you back. We can't do without you. As as long as Magneto's realistically angry about that, right? Or at least realistically conflicted. You know, oh, I, how can I be mad that I'm alive again? But I said I didn't want to be. That could be an interesting plot point as long as they don't just say, oh, well, he's back and forget about it. 
if they if they do a good job. We're going to wrap that up for now. And thank you, everybody. And we will see you in a couple minutes with our special guest. And then we will see you again next week to talk about the next Judgment Day issue. Welcome back. Like we just like we promised, we do have a special guest here. I am here with Ruben, and who else is here today? Uh, I am the uh, progenitor. <laughs> the I progenitor. am Jim. <laughs> you, I'm are, the you, are the, you, you are the progenitor of this podcast. <laughs> yes. You are the you know the the one of the founding members of Weird Science. Yes, Jim is here to uh, to talk Amazing Spider Man with us. Yeah, just more like Amazing Spider-Man. Would. Yes, uh, not really <laughs> on the X side of things. I, and it's funny, too, because when we go into this, we're talking about, and I'm sure we joked about it already, the idea that this is a little like late. It's it's a little late in the game for a Hellfire Gala. About two yeah. months after the gala occurred, and I guess Spider-Man started a little later than it was supposed to. So even though it's been coming out every other week, it's still behind where they expected to be. Related to the other books. It kind of dashes some of the hopes that I had. I really thought that we might get some little bit, a little nugget that would be for the people who are reading Amazing Spider-Man. Because this is a tie-in, but it is part of the numbered series of the deal. I wanted something with Mary Jane and Peter. Just a little bit. Not at the end, like, man, things have been tough for us. It's one of those tie-ins where he feels like he's afraid. He can't do anything to advance Amazing Spider-Man in case people only don't read this one, don't read this issue. And he can't advance the event at all because what if people don't read Spider-Man? So it ends up yeah. just kind of being a very generic rescue yeah, story and doesn't doesn't move much for. This is not going to be in the trade. Yeah, if it is, it's just thrown in there. Now, with that, the funny play is I ended up stopping the, the X-Men stuff and I stopped reading last Hellfire Gala. So I, I am back. <laughs> Happy anniversary. This tie-in. I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's see what's up with this Hellfire Gala this year. Uh, and again, me just jumping in here, I didn't really prepare for anything but Spider-Man because that's what I'm reading. My perspective is just, hey, if you're reading Spider-Man, should you pick this up? I, I could spoil it right now, but it starts with N and ends with O is, is what it is. But I'll let you guys go through it. Now, I will chime in as we go. We, we start off with, I think, it, instead of doing the recap in the text like we often do on the, the first page, they, they do it as if it's Spidey giving his psychic testimony at the gala. Because as those of us who read the gala issue saw, Mary Jane was there, but she was being controlled by Moira's robotic hand wrapped around her neck and psychically controlling her some kind of hand wavy way. And so she was acting kind of funny and she ended up having a little little fight and she uh, was revealed to be Moira, you know, everybody hates now on Krakoa, of course. And then she snuck off through one of the gates and was followed by Grey Crow. Yeah, and it's funny, again, to get Spider-Man involved, he kind of is like, yeah, it was kind of a prank, Wolverine, but I'm here. Let's go with it. It's kind of a weird play to get Spider-Man involved. And then this, this weird panel where Wolverine goes through a portal and comes back with Spider-Man's brand spanking new Norman Osborn-derived costume. I don't know where Wolverine went off to, to, to Peter Parker's closet somewhere and found that, but He's yeah. back. He has the new costume on. I guess they didn't want to have the old costume because they just gave him a new costume. So but I assume that was a Culture Club disc that he had. He's big on Culture Club. He brought that back with him so that he can go. But it is weird. It's like almost like he had what was and whether or not you said it, it's delayed a bit. They didn't know what the, the whole deal. So did they know originally that this, you know, the, the spider suit of this would be in it? It just felt weird. That tag and deal of, oh, hey, here's your suit just was odd. It was odd to me. Yeah. The other major piece of equipment they take with them, you know, like when you do your text adventure and you always type get whatever you see on the screen, they have a specialized EMP disc 
to use to scramble more of his signals and get Mary Jane out safe. This has never been mentioned before, will never be mentioned again. It's obviously created just to make this issue happen. Again, really in a microcosm, what this issue is about. We go off to Paris, France. So Moira, back in the Hellfire Gala, before the Hellfire Gala, she had left the rest of her robot body behind. So she could just be in the hand and just do the Mary Jane thing. But she, when she did that, she had left her body up on Phobos by Mars, right? So I don't know how the rest of her body ended up in Paris, but I guess that's where they wanted to have this fight take place. Do you know anything, Ruben, about how this body could have gotten here? There's some weird movement stuff here. And I think we were talking separately about this, like when did the Smileys join up with Orcus? I mean, I, I recall them being adversaries to the Hellions, but like now they're part of Orcus. Accompanied by some regular beekeeper looking Orcus folks. So that makes sense because we know AIM is part of Orcus. But she's also got some red smileys. And we, yeah, like, that's really the only callback to Hellion in this whole thing, sadly, is that we've got some smileys here. And yeah, I don't know how the right hooked up with Orcus. And again, we may never see them again having any part of Orcus. Again, this issue feels very much all by itself on an island. So Moira goes back to Paris and she's being tracked by Grey Crow. Uh, so they know where she is because Grey Crow's following her. Okay, so they need some kind of way to get there. And what is the standard way that any uh, mutant on Krakoa gets anywhere that doesn't already have a portal? Well, Ruben, tell us. How do they get there? You could look at his red eyes. No, we've got good old pothead gateway here. <laughs> I like gateway. And again, uh, when I ended up wanting to get into the whole, you know, X-Men stuff, I ended up reading right before Jonathan Hickman took over and then went in with the Jonathan Hickman. But some of the characters that I did like, I like gateway. He just cracks me up. He's just just sitting there. Looks like he's always pissed off. I mean, really, he probably does have more to say, but everybody just comes to him for a portal. So he's now pissed off. He doesn't want to talk to anybody uh, in the, the long run because he thinks he's being used. But I, I do like how Spidey talks. And you end up having Zeb Wells is trying desperately to get the quippy Spider-Man involved in some things. So it's a little jokey, you know, playing off a of Wolverine. It's okay. It just ends up where, as this is going on, I'm like, all right, like, let's get on with it. Let's go. Because some of these scenes just end up where they're just there, like you said, you know, Jason, that, you know, when you need a portal, you go to Gateway and then you get the portal and off we go. And it just seems like a way to have Spider Man have some quips and then go. So yeah. It, seem- it is a, a funny comparison to have the, the always chatty, always quippy Spider Man. He thinks he can charm the pants or the loincloth off of anybody. Yeah. So he goes over to try to talk to uh, talk to, to Gateway there, and he just gets the icy stare of someone who's just not interested, someone who knows he's not really a character in these books. He's just a plot device. Yeah, I think that's why he's pissed. And I'll <laughs> leave me alone. You don't really, you don't really want to be my friend. You just don't want to look like a jerk. And he does look like he he's been hitting the you know the bong a bit. I'm telling you, he looks like he's like really interrupted <laughs> me right now. And you didn't bring snacks. You didn't bring Taco Bell? I don't know why he has red <laughs> eyes. Uh, that's the only explanation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's bored. He just sits there and makes portals. But, you know, they end up going. And, of course, you're going to have action in this, right? So you end up, as they go through that portal, it's, all right, let's start, you know, slicing and dicing. And I think that explains why we have smiley robots here, because it's it's yeah. it's enemies that Wolverine doesn't have to worry about, right? You can smash through them. You can slice them. You can dice them. And you don't have to say, oh, no, we, we don't no, kill no human. That law doesn't apply. It's it's just robots. Basically, that's it. I mean, that's why they're there. Like you said, when if you're there and you can't explain because it really makes no sense with that, 
then it, it's obvious that they're just thrown in there. What can I put in there so that Wolverine, because, you know, he's here. And it's such a weird play. Again, Wolverine's the guest star, but really Spider-Man's overall the guest star in his own book because it's a Hellfire Gala thing. And I just was hoping that that would make more sense than just, hey, we want to slice and dice, but that's all it really is. No, we haven't seen the smileys since that bit of Hellions, and we have not seen them hook up with Orcus at large. Man. So I doubt we'll see it again. I'll keep an eye out for it, but I doubt we'll see it again. So after their fight, Spidey's all hot and ready to go in to go rescue MJ, but Wolverine says, no, no, no. She's actually a psychic double agent, kind of. She's been in contact back on Krakoa with the... Uh, Jean Grey, I guess, is talking, or Jean Grey is talking to her, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she wants to find out where Moira is so that they can go and take down Moira rather than just rescuing her. Which, I mean, we know they're not going to take out Moira McTaggart in a Spider-Man issue. <laughs> that would be the best. She's just done <laughs> after this issue that nobody ever reads. <laughs> the key character of the entire Krakoan era goes out in a Spider-Man tie. That would be funny as hell. And here's the thing. That that kind of goes with the way that I came into this. I don't ever expect that to happen, right? But since it is a Spider-Man book, even though you're in, and it, it would be like, okay, they're not going to really reveal anything for Spider-Man either because if you're not reading Spider-Man, there's a big mystery going on. They even say it at the beginning in the actual recap page of it. So I thought, we're gonna, we have to get something. Because as we're going through, you're not going to do big things. Plus, it's delayed. I mean, if anything of this would have been important, it would have really have come to play already. You would have known it. And so you right. go into this, I'm like, all right, so it must be that this is the way because it's a way to get Mary Jane. She's being controlled. All the stuff. They have to tell us something about what happened to Peter and also this relationship between her and or him and Mary Jane. And when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, where I thought they just go generic. And that's what this whole, again, that's basically what we keep saying about it. It, it looks great, but you keep going because it just, when you said that about, well, we're obviously not going to get big X-Men stuff and stuff, but I wanted something Spider-Man in it as well. But then you kind of pull it back because it's an X-Men tie. And so it's such a weird play, this issue. It is. So we go to this place in Paris called Saint-Chapelle Cathedral, which, not to nitpick, it's, it's not a cathedral, it's just a church. Cathedral means something different. Check out the big brain on bread! So they, they go there because it's a cool place to have a fight. It's an 800-year-old church, and uh, that's where Moira's robot body is, and she says, okay, I'm going to go back to my body, but, you know, MJ, I'm just going to kill you because why not? Because I'm, I'm a villain now. And that's when Grey Crow jumps in, Throws some grenades blowing up part of the 800-year-old church. Okay. Wolverine comes up smashing through the floor of the 800-year-old church. I don't care. Getting blood all over. Oh, no. There's some stuff here that makes no sense to me. This is where, good art or not, I just can't stand this issue. Greyco gets shot to hell. Like, he gets really just wrecked. Probably like he a does. million bullets. And I've never seen him with, like... You know, mutant healing power or anything. And then he kind of just like gets up out of his pool of blood and says, made you look. And I'm like, well, what are they trying to do here? Like, yeah. Is it, was he wearing like squibs? Is yeah. this all special effects? He wasn't actually shot. Blood packs. Yeah. yeah it squibs makes and blood no, packs. no, no sense. And so I had, I had to look at the fandom page too. I'm like, does he have powers I don't know about? Does he have, and no, nope, there's no healing factor or anything like that. So super bizarre. Yeah. And then how did Wolverine, like you guys said, how did he get in the floor? <laughs> He's just <laughs> in the floor. Where, how did Spider-Man come in? Did he smash through this, the ancient stained glass windows? Who knows? Yes. Wolverine could have taken the stairs. <laughs> 
I'm talking like it's the ground foundation that he comes in, like he's yes. brewing around the catacombs. Yeah. And then, like you said, Spidey comes in just throwing bombs and stuff. Like, really? What is going on? But yeah, that to me shows you that when you're, you know, plotting it out, you're not really caring. About the yeah. actual scene. It had to be a fight scene. They said, well, it'll look cool. Let's, let's put it somewhere it will look cool because we don't have any actual you know, content. So we'll just we'll just do a cool looking fight scene. Hey, hey, artist, make it look cool. It's like when you have a fight, like, you know, me, you, and Ruben have a fight scene and we're in a museum. So then as you're fighting, you're doing the, you know, trying to grab that vase. And then you're doing... Go Jackie Chan style. Yeah, Jackie Chan style is what it reminds this is the Jackie Chan who just goes in and blows everything up. He doesn't care. He's like, oh, vase, oh well. But you could make me care about that too. Like Chris Chris Samney's an excellent artist that will have an issue that's just a big fight scene and it'll be fun, right? Because you can follow what's going on. You're like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. And this is just like single shots that make no sense. Overall, it does kind of like, okay, fight scene. You, you could just really look at that page as a whole and just go fight scene and turn the page. It really doesn't do that. Again, it just shows that this really is, I don't know if it's a cash grab, like, uh, you know, or if it's just, oh, the books all have to have this, so here I go. Uh, but, I mean, I'm asking you guys, what do you get? Because at the end, then, when you end up having Moira run through Wolverine, he's hurt. Like, what do you get out of this on your guys' end? We do get a panel of uh, Moira's hand walking along on its own, like, like thing from uh, the Adams family, which is just like we saw Deadpool's hand do an X-Force. So kind of an unintentional callback there. She does get herself back together. We get one panel that makes it look like, oh, no, she just murdered Spidey to death with her big stabby things. And, uh, of course, it was Wolverine who jumped in the way, took the stabbing for him. And that's how the blood of Wolverine gets on Moira. So when we see her later on in Druig's office, it was Wolverine's blood. Not Mary Jane's and not Spidey's. Yeah, the very sort of Judgment Day, there was a scene where she shows up, talks to Druig, and she's covered in blood. And I guess you're supposed to She says worry. the day didn't go as smoothly as the mutants intended. There was some blood. Okay, and that is that is what the reveal is here. It was Wolverine's. So we get the EMP go off again, and th the status quo just is maintained. Mary yep. Jane gets rescued. She's not dead. So this book can go on as it hadn't been going on. Moira escapes. She's not captured or killed. So all Moira's stuff and the X-Books can keep going on just as they were going on. And everything's back to normal. We do get this one last scene of Spidey and MJ talking. They went through the New York City gate. I don't know exactly how. Maybe MJ's invitation from the Hellfire Gala I'm was still you, I working. I was going to ask because early on they even almost suggest like Spidey got – and I'm like, well, what's going on? Have they changed things since I went with these gates? And then at the end, I thought like you said, what are they doing? Why are they going through the gate? That doesn't make much sense. They were accompanied by Wolverine. You could say, okay, they had a, had a, a chaperone. Yeah, I don't know if, if MJ's invitation had a, a plus one on it, even if it would work. So again – they're not supposed to think about that. And we get kind of a forced argument where they want to show that Peter and MJ still aren't getting along, but they don't want to reveal anything of substance. So they they drop the word responsibility, which in any yeah. Spider-Man book means, oh, we're supposed to think that's deep. Yeah, the responsibility deep and Paul to anger us. That, that's <laughs> oh, what Paul. I love you. Oh, Paul. <laughs> is it about Paul? <laughs> this is the thing. In this, you have, you know, Zeb Wells is writing this. He knows he can't. He's He's got his hands tied on the end of the Moira stuff and the X-Men stuff. They're not going to reveal something. But this is his book. This is his run. 
give me something. It's even an epilogue that you could just give a little bit. You don't have to reveal everything because I'm sure, you know, you want to have a whole. But give us something that I go, oh, my God, you know, that's what it's like. Something about Paul, something about not exactly what happened, but maybe a little snippet of, well, you did this or you know that, but not responsibility i'm like generic that's all it is that's it all feels like those anthologies where every other writer of a spider anthology yeah. has to drop the great responsibility line because it's it's the thing you do when you got nothing else say responsibility uh, some of the weird plays here being that if this was somebody else but zeb wells doing this i would have thought oh they don't know anything about the gates even that deal but he wrote, you know, Hellions. Yeah, he wrote one of the best books of the it whole Krakoa era. It's so weird that that is. But then, yeah, to just go, hey, you know what happened between us? No, no, I don't. That's why I'm here. I thought maybe you'd get now this. And I read this and, and talked to you about it because I didn't want to miss out in case something happened. Then we get back, me and Jason start talking about And then all of a sudden, I get, oh, well, you didn't read that. Well, they said this and they said that. Well, no, no, it didn't really happen. So it was a disappointment for me on that side. And as somebody who left the X books, this isn't going to get me back. It it definitely, it's not, I don't know that that's the way that it's supposed to be, but you kind of want to get, okay, I'm a Spider-Man fan. Unfortunately, I have it on my pull list and my guy at my shop, he didn't think things through and gave me this because, you know, you want to keep the numbers and all that, but. It, it it should be something to get me inspired to like, oh, I got to check that out. That's neat. Just having Wolverine isn't neat enough. That That's what I think the play is. But yeah, it ends up where it it's not get the anything. 90s anymore where just putting Wolverine in the book means you're, you get an extra 50,000 copies sold. Oh, my God. Wolverine and Spider-Man. But I know for a fact that if I go and read, he's not, Spider-Man's not going to be with there. And Wolverine here is just kind of generic a bit. And then you get Grey Crow again was in the Hellions book, and he doesn't seem to even know his powers. It's very odd. He also wrote a very bad Sinister. That's sort of what I was here for when when, that, when he had Peter interacting with Sinister. I was like, okay, well, this will be funny, right? He, so I thought Zeb Wells had the best Sinister voice, and it's, it's not good. <laughs> it does feel like most of this is mailed in. It, to yeah. me, it just feels totally. But anything else, Jason? No. Well, so the first two issues that Ruben and I talked about, the uh, – Judgment Day number four and the X-Men Red number six, we agreed were definitely vital to read if you want to keep up with the event, right? If you skip either of those, you're missing big chunks of the story. We can't say that about Amazing Spider-Man, not no. even if you're just trying to keep up with the Amazing Spider-Man story. Yeah, if, you, if you're a collector and you don't want to be missing a number yeah. in your, your long box, you buy it. But that is the only reason to buy this. It was a disappointment. I actually was hoping that I could... I, I, I'm not even mad about it because it's just there. It's so generic and mailed in, like I said. And I know that some people are against the amazing Spider-Man right now. Me and Jason, we like it enough. It's, it's had its ups and downs. But the big thing is we this mystery. It's driving us nuts. And not even going into this, I thought maybe this yeah, would be where you get a it's not revealed in this. Bit. And it's not going to be revealed in the next one either because that's the judgment day. And I mean, you could say if Spidey's being judged, they could theoretically address whatever this big thing is. Hey, maybe that's why they've been delaying it all along. Because they wanted the reveal to be in Spidey getting judged in judgment day. That seems like a long shot but maybe i guess i guess we'll find out in a week i'm gonna judge it i'm giving it a <laughs> thumbs down get out of here if maybe if he's nude like craven then i'd be in then i'd be like all right you know, i'll give it that's more. what Actually, jimmy likes there are some pages that look awesome and then it gets weird in others maybe he was rushed or maybe they had to change things 
Yeah, because like some of the pages are beautiful, and then the the stuff inside the cathedral, the geography of it, and the choreography, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. We we're glad that everybody is stuck around for what I'm going to call our post credit scene here. So two pretty good books this week, and then there's Amazing Spider Man. So for folks who I don't know if anybody listens to this who doesn't listen to me and Jim on the main Marvel podcast, but hey, listen to me and Jim on the main Marvel podcast. And if you happen to be a main Marvel podcast guy, checking out. The uh, Weird Dose of X podcast, just because you heard, oh, I'm sure Jim's going to really you know, push publicize that, uh, hey, this is where Amazing Spider-Man is this week. You know, check and stick around and uh, we'll tell you what's going on in uh, Judgment Day. I expect a plug. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.